If you would, turn in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place when it, where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, as we begin this study in this this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes, this, this maybe even hard-to-swallow book of Ecclesiastes. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in, in big ways. Lord, would you help us to understand that true meaning in life is found in knowing you as our Savior and our Lord. Fathers, we're in this place today. We, we live in a, in a time in our history where it can be very difficult to walk as a Christian but Lord, we know that we are not without hope. So we turn to you today, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we, we look to you, Father, for, for guidance during times such as this. Lord, thank you that there is hope, and that hope is in your Son, Jesus Christ. In your most holy name, amen. Now, I know when you're reading through this passage, it's kind of a bummer, bummer section of Scripture, isn't it? The guy's writing about, you know, man, What's the point in life? I mean, if you were to summarize what he's writing here, what is the point in life? It's all meaningless. Have you ever felt that way in your daily life? What's the point? I mean, you try to do right, you try to do good things, and it's kind of like, what is the point? What is the meaning in my life? What is the purpose? What is, what is my hope? Where is it? And the writer here, he's, he's going through some stuff. And I, and I understand that this is not your typical writing that you find in Scripture. When you're going through the, uh, uh, the book of Psalms, for instance, David's writing, and he often throws this negative picture. Man, there's people out after me. There's people trying to kill me. But it always ends with a, but praise be to God, right? You always see these types of uh, formations of literature in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. But when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, there's not really any hope given at all. And so as a, as a believer, as I'm reading this, I'm like, why is this passage of Scripture here? 
even the word God is a generic form of God. It's not even like Elohim or Jehovah. It's, that's not the word that is used here. This person is writing this from a very broken standpoint. They are looking at the world apart from God. They're, they're looking at the world as if God is not even in the equation. Now, before you start adopting these passages in here and saying, well, that's what the Bible says. I want you to understand there's a reason they're written in this way. And I've seen Christians time and time again adopt this philosophy in their life. This is not an, a philosophy to be adopted in your life because here's the reason. There is hope. There is purpose in this life. The, uh, yeah, the world's going to continue and generations go and generations come and all this fun stuff. But the thing is, what we need to remember today is that God is our hope. The writer here is writing this with God out of the equation. And I think probably a lot of us in here have probably been at a point in life where this was probably true. We're maybe asking ourselves, is it really worth going on? Is it, is it worth toiling under the sun? Is it, is it worth it? You know, I mean, if I were to not be here, what would be the difference in this world? Now, coming through a pandemic, I think we all can say, man, this is, this is kind of relevant. There's something here that's, that's a little bit refreshing, even in its depressive nature of, of writing style. We see where the writer here, he's, he's, he's just painting this negative picture. But you and I today, as believers in Jesus, know that we do have hope. Amen? You ought to sound a little more excited than that. We have hope. There is hope in knowing Christ. There, it's, not, it's not this idea that, that we're without hope. That this, this life is meaningless. And no doubt, sometime in your life, you're like, what is meaning? Philosophers across the, the centuries have tried to find out what is the meaning of life. Science has tried to find out the meaning of life. And church, I want to tell you something today. They all fall apart at some point because true meaning is only found in knowing God. Through Jesus. By the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where meaning comes from. And a lot of us in here today, we're like, yeah, I get that. I know Christ. I, I follow Christ. But you know, this passage of Scripture, this, this book that we're going to be looking into, it should help us to understand that there's a whole world out there that, that views the things that are going on in a way in which God is not a part of the picture. And so it is meaningless. It is meaningless. As you're looking at this, you know, we see that this idea that the book of Ecclesiastes is it's a look at life where God is not in the equation. He's not in the picture. How many of you can remember when God wasn't in your life? When, when he wasn't a big part of who you are now? Doesn't this passage of Scripture ring true? When you think about the fact that when God is not there, it is meaningless. What, what, what's the hope once we die without Christ? Well, we know there is no hope. There is no hope at all. What's the hope in the day-to-day? There, there is no hope. And when you're looking at this, this, this picture of if God does not exist, then life is meaningless. It's true. So while we're reading this, I don't want you guys just to come every Sunday and just get depressed. I'm like, well, vanity of vanities. This life is depressing. What I want you to be joyful in is in the very point that God is good and He is here and that He is our hope. And then we don't have to adopt this as a philosophy. The, the writer here, and a lot of people, um, by and large, most theologians, so forth, they agree that Solomon wrote this. I mean, it says in there that, you know, the son of David, 
states that he was a king. And that could have been someone later on, but, but we really believe by writing style and so forth that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. But he wrote it not during a time in his life that he was necessarily walking very closely to God, apparently. Unless he's using this as some kind of evangelistic tool, you know, he's going to put this out to the nations. Honestly, uh, during this time period, around 2600 B.C., there was an Egyptian writer who wrote about how suicide may be the only answer because what's the point in life? This is, this is in Egypt. And so when I think about that writing and a lot of these, uh, these folks who study these an- ancient manuscripts and so forth, this is really right along the way. It's not like a, you know, a Judges or you know, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, where it's telling about how God worked in people. We're seeing this picture of a, a hopeless life, a meaningless life. It's really more akin to this ancient Egyptian writing where it's like, hey, you might as well just kill yourself because once you stop breathing, you won't have any more pain. So much of the time, I think, man, this is, this is really the, the philosophy of the world today. What is the point? Well, when you look at politics or you look at uh, any of the issues that we may be facing within our nation right now, people are so quick to argue with each other. Have you noticed? Yeah, you've noticed. People love to argue nowadays. We, in the United States of America, we have adopted uh, a system of us versus them. Everyone. Even within the church, it's Christians versus the non-Christians, right? In politics, it's Republicans versus the Democrats. When we think about this for a moment, I want you guys to just just put all this in perspective. All of these mindsets, these viewpoints are based in the very fact that there is no hope. Why are we so quick to, to argue that we're right in this world? You know, even as a Christian, I understand we need to have our strong convictions and we need to be living our life out uh, according to the Scriptures, but it should not be impossible for a Christian to be friends with a non-Christian. It should not be impossible for us to, to, to be able to go to them and to have a relationship as far as being able to communicate and love each other because here's the very fact of the matter. The only way that people are going to hear the gospel is if they'll listen to us, and if we're hateful to them, they're not going to listen to us. So church, we have to be those type of people, and that's a living hope, isn't it? That I'm, I'm able to go out here and to speak with someone who has a, you know, a differing viewpoint. I think a viewpoint that I stand firm on is I don't believe that abortion is ever okay. And a lot of us Christians will say, yeah, I agree to that too. But when I see someone in society who says that they're you know, pro-choice or whatever they want to call themselves, A lot of times as a Christian, what we'll do, we'll just segregate them out and say, well, I can't talk with them. They believe abortion is okay. We do it in politics. Well, they're they're a Democrat or they're a Republican, so I can't associate with them. I can't talk with them. Honestly, if we're living in such a way, we are holding to this life more than we're holding to the gospel message. There's a hope that even the vilest of sinners can come clean. Amen? Amen? by what Christ did upon the cross of Calvary. It's not our work. It's not the work of the church. It's, it's the work of Jesus himself. We're just proclaiming this, this good news. And this book of Ecclesiastes is relevant, and it's good for us today because it helps us to maybe, for a lot of us who are believers and follow Christ, maybe for a moment we'll just look at this world through the eyes of someone else, through the eyes of someone who has no hope. 
I'll be honest. I'm a Christian. Uh, I know when I die, I'm not going to hell. Amen. <laughs> That's a pretty good place to be, right? I don't worry about going to hell. I, I know God's going to provide for me. I know God's going to take care of me. So that's, that's, a, you know, that's a privilege in, uh, that I have in my life. It's a privilege that I have there. But there's a lot of people in the world, they don't live that way. And they'll fight tooth and nail over the stupidest of things. They'll get in arguments over the dumbest of things. They'll, they'll not have friendships with some people because of prejudices or because of things that they just cannot get over. And I want to tell you something, that if we are living in the hope of Jesus Christ, the world is our mission field. Everyone. People that are, that are of different political affiliations than us, maybe. They may even be assembly of God, and we can be friends with them. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I have some great assembly of God brothers and sisters. I, I love them dearly. And the reason is, is because we love Christ first. Because he first loved us. But the writer here, I mean, he's painting this negative picture. The world today is painting this negative picture. Ecclesiastes is a picture of life without God. And it's a scary place to be. And when people are scared, guess what? They act in scared ways. They, they lash out. Our world lashes out at each other because they're scared. There is no hope. There is no peace. There is no understanding. There is no meaning. So as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must live a life full of meaning. And the way we do that is by remembering who we are. We are His. We are bought with a price. What a, what a blessing. J. Vernon McGee, the, the great pastor, the great preacher of the gospel, J. Vernon McGee says this about uh, the writer in Ecclesiastes. He says that this was written from a man who was walking very far from God. Now, as you guys look at this, I want you to, to grasp that, okay? Because I know a lot of times we think that, well, the Word of God is, you know, it's there for us to adopt whatever it says, and it is. But this, we have to understand the full context. Solomon was not walking close to God during this part of his life. He was walking somewhere else. And his writings show to us what happens when God is not our hope, <laughs> everything he says here. And I've seen Christians time and time again, they love the book of Ecclesiastes because, you know, it talks about, you know, eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we may die. There's these types of thoughts throughout the book, right? Um, it's talking about vanity of vanities, which it's just interesting that he uses the word vanity of vanities. And when I was a kid, I thought the word vanity meant mirror. And so I'm thinking, mirror of mirrors? What, what does that mean? But vanity is... is uh, Vanity is actually, it's just meaning something that's pointless. And it's not just pointless, but it's the pointless of pointless. It's a, it's a Hebrew construct when he says vanity of vanities. Have you ever heard of the word or the phrase holy of holies? That's a Hebrew construct. About Jesus, what did they say? King of kings, right? So this is this idea that it's not just pointlessness, but it's the pointlessness of pointlessness. Are you following me? It's the most pointless thing that you can have. And that's what he equates life to. During this dark time in his life, that's how he views it. Now, no doubt we've all been through dark times. Am I correct? There's been times in my life when I, man, I was just like, I don't know. I just don't know. This is, this is a tough time to be living in. 
And so I, I think about who my God is, and, and sure, that always brings me back around, but, but there have been times in my life where I just wondered about the value of life, and is it even worth going on? Some of y'all are like, well, I don't know what you mean, Daniel. I've always just been happy and go lucky and all this. You should be a pastor for a little bit. Sometimes that's tough. And I don't mean to be like, oh, y'all have some sympathy on Daniel, but, but sometimes, you know, you do the work of the gospel, and people just behave in other ways. One thing I've learned within the church is you'll have people that come and people that go. But how does that affect how I live? Is my hope, is, is it if, if someone's sitting in the pew or not? That's not my hope. I, I, want, I want resolution. I want people to be happy. I want people to, to be a part of our fellowship. But my goal is not to please people. My goal is to proclaim the gospel. My hope is in the gospel, not whether there's people sitting in the pew or not. Because the thing is, is that if I'm preaching the gospel, then people can be redeemed. People can know Jesus. There is hope. There is meaning. I found my meaning in life early on, praise God. I had, a, had godly parents. I had godly church. I had people in my life who were investing in me and loving me. And they were, they were able to help me to understand the very fact of the matter that with God in my life, I can have hope. I can have meaning. And I, and I hope today that that's where you're at. I hope that you, you have a, a meaningfulness in your life. You feel like that God is just doing something good. And, and so when we're in this passage of Scripture, don't just adopt these as philosophies that mean something to you. What Jay Vernon was saying was, hey, this guy, he wasn't, he wasn't right with the Lord at this time. And he's really just pointing out the bigger problem, that if God is absent, then so is meaning. The, the word or the title, Lord, again, I mentioned this earlier, it's not used in this passage of Scripture. That word Elohim or Jehovah, you don't see it in all of Ecclesiastes. So this guy, whenever he does mention God, it's like this, this generic of God, kind of like in America today, right? Some people say they believe in God, but they don't act like it. There's people in the world that believe in God, but they, they really just don't act like it. They don't live in, in this way. And the author here, he points out that life, it's the ultimate of vanities. It's the Super Bowl champion of vanities. There's nothing, nothing that is more pointless than life itself. So when we're looking at this, this, this sorrow that we read in this book, and, and I know as you're reading through this, guys, don't get down and out about it, okay? Everybody, everybody smile for me. I want to see some big, yeah, there we go, some good smiles out there. There's hope in this this book of Ecclesiastes. As we go through it, we're going we're gonna to observe some, some philosophies. You know, we've talked about them. You see it on Facebook or social media. These people adopt these philosophies, and that's what they believe, and they hold to it, right? You know, it's the, the you-do-you culture, or the if someone wrongs you, then you cut them off because you don't need that negativity. Guys, I want to challenge you as a believer that if someone is negative towards you, you love them. Isn't that what Christ did? So much of the time we're like, hey, somebody's negative to me, I'm going to cut them off. That's wrong. Because when you think about the, the very message of the gospel upon the cross is, is we had offended God. God was offended by our sin, and yet he went there anyway so that we could be redeemed. And so as the church, we need to be a people who are loving to all people. If we're not loving to people, then we're just living a meaningless life because we're just like, what's the point? Do you realize it? Everybody look around this morning. It won't take you long this morning because we got a smaller, smaller 11 o'clock service, right? Do you realize that if everybody in here knows Jesus, that one day you'll spend eternity with them? Okay? 
Now, I want you to imagine this. When you go out into the world, your mentality should be like, all these people are candidates of the gospel. They're candidates of salvation. They can know Christ, and I may be spending eternity with them. That affects how you treat people. I'm going to be nice to them because, well, for one, I'm going to see them again. <laughs> you know? Some of y'all probably go on vacation, and maybe you're a little more uh, mean to people. I don't know. I hope not. Maybe in traffic. Have you ever drove through Atlanta, Georgia? That's the craziest traffic. I've been through L.A., and I'm like, this is nothing, you know? But I went through Atlanta one time, and I mean, it was really easy just to, if you could lose your salvation, you would lose it in Atlanta, Georgia while you're driving, right? And so I, I, I think about sometimes we treat people like we're never going to see them again, but that's a meaningless, hopeless mentality. We should treat people like, man, they're my brother and they're my sister. Whether they're Democrat or Republican, whether they're, they're, they're BLM or All Lives Matter or Back the Blue, none of this stuff, I, I, what I see in America today, and I wish people would grasp this, all these different movements. Isn't it interesting it's happening during an election year? Can we just stop and agree to that for one minute? Right? We're even now, we're concerned with, with trafficking of children. You know? Daniel, don't go there. I'm going to go there, okay? All this stuff is all of a sudden in the upfront portion of our news feed now. And the reason is because people have agendas. I want to challenge you as a believer. Um, shouldn't black lives matter as a believer? Shouldn't all lives matter as a believer? Now, I know some people say, well, black lives matter is it's a statement for a reason. I agree to that. It is a reason. There needs to be some changes in the inequalities in our society. I agree to that, Right? All lives matter. At the same time, I can say that because I do believe all lives matter. I believe, you know, white lives matter. I believe uh, Chinese lives matter, Native American lives matter. I mean, I can just go down the list, right? As a Christian, I adopt all of these. That, that doesn't take away from BLM because I do believe that there needs to be some changes in our society. I do believe that. Not the Marxist changes, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. We talked about this last week, that there's a, there a statement of BLM and then there's a, there's a movement that's different. Okay? And even most of my brothers and sisters who are people of color, they're going to tell you, yeah, we don't really buy to that, but we do believe that black lives matter. I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I want you guys to understand what I'm saying. All, all of our viewpoints in this world, it needs to be based in hope. I look, I look at people, you know, when we go to Honduras, I don't look at those people that live in poverty down there any differently than I look at you. They're people who need Christ. And if they know Christ, then they need encouragement in Christ, right? We're to encourage each other as believers. Uh, Brother Samare, when he was here a couple weeks ago, he's no different than us. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, Joni and I, we, we've kind of, the Lord's just kind of, he's moved in our lives to support this guy in every, any way that we can. And we, we've been doing that. And I, I feel fortunate to do that because I, I, I've been where he's at. It's hard being a pastor. And particularly where he's at in his part of the world, it would be really tough. But you see, we are not called to live hopeless or meaningless. We are, we are called to live with, with meaning, with hope. And so as we're looking through these, and I, I just kind of want to re, rehash, and then we're going to go to Psalm 42. But I want you to look at this, just kind of what he talks about. Of course, he talks about vanity. We, we, we spoke about that, how it's the pointlessness of pointlessness, right? But he talks about how one generation gives way to the next generation, one generation gives way to the next generation. How many of you, is it, is it kind of depressing sometimes to think about everyone who's died? Is, have you ever been there before? You know, 
I think about, uh, since I've been born, <laughs> since I've walked this planet, there, there have been probably three generations that have gone on. My great-grandparents, my grandparents, and now I'm seeing like my parents' age. These generations are gone. And if I was to be a person who lived without hope, that would be super depressing. Because now I'm thinking, I'll never see grandma again. I'll never see great-grandma again. I'll never see my aunts, my uncles, my dad. I'll never see these people again. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have hope because I know that I will see them again. You see? The writer here, he's writing this, and he's like, it's really depressing if you look at all the generations that have died. It's just this, this great circle that just, just happens. And, and there's nothing to stop it. There's nothing to stop it, this cycle that's happening that people are born and people die, and people are born and people die. You can relate to this if you've been quarantined any time during this, these past few months. It gets mundane, doesn't it? Setting it home. Before uh, quarantine, a lot of people were like, man, I wish I could just stay home more. It was like the Lord said, okay. <laughs> Boom, right? And, and so now you're home, but now you're tired of being home, and now you, it's like a joy to go to Walmart now, right? Yes, we're going to Walmart. I, I would work all day, and I'd come home, and Joni and the kids, they'd be like, let's go to Walmart. And I'm like, you're weirdos. I just want to sit on the couch. But generations come, generations go. It's, it's very mundane. Then he, he talks about the physicality of the world. He talks about the, the, how the sun rises and it sets. The sun rises and it sets. How many of y'all follow the moon? The moon rises and it sets, right? The, you got the waning moon, the fingernail moon, the blood moon. You got all these moons and all these cycles, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens, and it can get really mundane if God is not the king of your heart. The wind, it blows. You guys know that. You live in Oklahoma. The wind blows, and you, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, and all of a sudden it comes back, and here it is again, right? The wind just always exists. He talks about the rivers, how the rivers flow, and they flow into the ocean, but the ocean never overflows. And the rivers, they keep moving. You ever thought about the Mississippi River? That's, if you've ever been there, it's just it's amazing. I was always amazed when we'd fly into to Honduras. When you're flying into the country, you're coming off the sea, right? And they kind of cut back. And you can see, from the airplane, you can see the coast. And you can see the rivers, the Patuca River and the Coco River. You can see them running out into the ocean. And there's just dirt and, like, grime from the, all the sediment in the, in, the, in the rainforest and the cloud forest. You can see it just going out into this crystal blue ocean. It's, just, it's quite a sight. And, and I would venture to say that if you were flying over Honduras right now, you would see the same thing. This world just keeps on turning. This world keeps on going. He talks about the streams. He talks about the air, the winds. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. You ever get tired of going to work? You ever get tired of waking up? Joni and I did something this week. We went and bought a new mattress. I got to be honest with you, I just want to sleep now. It's like, I didn't know our mattress was so bad. Wow. What, what did we, why did we wait so long, you know? It's like, why, why, but I, I was thinking about this, but we do get that way in our lives. We're just like, we just get weary. Like, you just get used to the terribleness. I mean, we finally woke up and bought a new mattress. We were just sleeping on an old mattress that was like a taco. Maybe that's why I liked it, because I love tacos. But, but it was just like a taco, like right in the middle, you know. And, and now we had, 
like Jaron, he's right there in the middle, and we're just tacoed up every night, you know. We get in this weariness syndrome. It's just over and over and over. In church, I know we do it in the church too. We go to church. We go home. We go to church. We go home. God is calling us to something more. He's calling us to, to living in hope and meaningfulness. We're, we're not to be out here just living life in that, in that way where everything's just mundane. You ought to be excited to go to church. You ought to be excited to be part of ministry. I was talking with some folks in the first service, and you know we're, we're looking at, well, okay, how do we approach Awanas now? <laughs> right? How, how do we approach ministry? Josh, how do we approach you know, these evangelistic type stuff we do with the youth you know, when school kicks on? How, how do we approach Sunday school? How do we approach all these things? Do we come back to it? Do we wait a while? The resounding answer is I don't know, right? Because we don't know. But even in these things, we can, we can have a mundane existence. I'm just going to go to church and go home. Do you know what happens when people just get in a mundane existence in church? A lot of times they just quit coming. And as much as we want to blame the pastor or the church, whose ultimate fault is that? If you allow yourself to be a person who gets mundane in your walk with Christ, it's going to get boring. It's going to seem hopeless, and you're going to give up. So my call to you as believers today is, as we're reading through Ecclesiastes Sure, it's a great viewpoint as to how other people view, view the world, but, but for you, don't, don't go there. It's a cautionary tale that if we, if we take God out of our life, if we take the excitement of following Jesus, then soon we can become a person who's having meaninglessness as our, as our mantra, as our battle cry. You know, can, can you imagine if our military, when they, when they went to battle, they're like, this is meaningless, and they go into battle to fight. You know, that, that's not, you know, if your favorite football team, which I hope football happens, I don't know what I'm going to do this fall. I'll probably make a lot of stew or something. I don't know, but I, what are we going to do this fall if football doesn't happen? I don't know. That's silly, isn't it? But you can see if our hope is only in this world, then things can get hopeless real quick. But if your favorite team's out there playing sports and they're, they're, they're doing whatever they do, if they were just out there like, man, this game is pointless. Woo! That's, that's the way the world lives, though. There's not a lot of hope. But if you're a believer today, if Christ has forgiven you of the sin that's so easily entangled you over the years and he's, he's, he's redeemed you, you have hope. You have meaning. Don't just keep it to yourself. Share it with the world. Share it to those that are around you. He goes down there and he talks about man toiling and working. And, and I know so much of the time we do this, you know, we go to work. And isn't payday just a great day for the most part? Because, you know, you got to pay bills. There's certain paydays that are better for me because I'm like, we have kind of our bills fall at one point of the month. And then the second, the second point is a little better. It's like, man, I might go get me a steak or something, you know. But even that stuff fades away. We, Jet and I, we went and got crab legs the other night because that's what, that's what guys do, I guess. We like crab legs. But that meal is, you know, it's short-lived and it's gone and now I'm hungry for crab legs again. 
He talks about that, that the eyes, that, you know, there's not enough goodness in this world to keep your eyes satisfied. There's, you're, you're always wanting to hear more stuff, right, or learn more things. There's, 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 there's this, this cycle that you can never be satisfied apart from God. If, if we really want to, like, break down, why does he mention that? It's, it's without God, we can't ever be satisfied. We can never be satisfied. And so we must be a people who are consistently and constantly seeking after God, that that is something that, that we do. One of the passages of Scripture I think that's misused a lot is the there's nothing new under the sun, right? What's he talking about? Well, in context, he's talking about that the world just continues to spin. That's really what he's talking about. There's nothing new. That's always been. Suns went up. Suns went down. It's rained. It's, there's been winds. There's been rivers flowing. There's been oceans. There's been all this going on. Everything stays the same. People are born. People die. It's a, this very repetitive cycle that, that in the end, guys, if we are without hope, this gets really old. But I'm thankful today that I have hope. That my mantra in life is not Ecclesiastes 1 where, man, this is the worst. This is the worst. Too much of the time we find ourselves like little kids who are just, we're bored. We're bored. Oh, I've got a 15-month-old, 16-month-old this week. Jaren will be 16 months old. Yesterday we were uh, just hanging out, you know, and he's pretty good for a minute. We were in a, a, a new location he'd never been before, so it's kind of cool. He's looking around. He's like, hey, this is pretty cool. But he gets bored really quick, right? And the next thing I look over there, and he had grabbed some, uh, some like, styrofoam and was just shredding it, right? Like, he's going to find something to, to occupy his time. I'm like, why that? You know, now I've got to clean up little bits of styrofoam everywhere. But we're like that a lot of times. We, we, we just search for whatever will make us happy. And that mentality, that, that part of who we are, is dangerous when you live in a world where you can look at anything on your phones. You can look at anything on the Internet. Where travel is, you can go anywhere, right? We've got way too many options with these, uh, these, these broken mentalities these broken uh, ways that we often view the world. We need to be a people who put our hope in God and God alone. And that's in everything that you do. That's in everything that you do. And the writer here, he's, just, he's just saying, you know, man, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, there's nothing new. In other words, life continues on. And so in this life, we must find the meaning behind life. Everywhere that the, the philosophers, philosophers have failed, it's in the fact that they don't put God there. Nietzsche failed because he didn't put God where he, God needed to be. Plato, Aristotle, all these great philosophers, they leave God out of the equation. Or maybe even like the, the writer in Ecclesiastes, they put a generic God in there, and it still doesn't work. So what do we do from this? What do we learn from this? We learn that we must put the living God of creation in the middle of our lives. through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to be doing today. Church, we're going to exist through this pandemic. Amen? Everybody say amen. Some of you are like, I don't know, maybe not. No, we're going to exist. The church will continue. Christ promised at the church that even the very gates of hell wouldn't prevail against us. The church is going to exist. A lot of us are down on America right now. We're like, man, however you view politically the world around you most people are not looking so favorably on upon the united states of america right now like man it's just it's a bad it's a bad place to be 
And I know in Revelation we read where everything kind of gets worse as we go before Christ returns. But, you know, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says that the United States of America will be the worst place to live. I honestly believe that the United States of America can be redeemed, that we can be the light to the world before Christ returns. My hope as a pastor is not to give up. That would be living as this guy. I have meaning in life because I have the gospel. (laughs) The gospel changes lives, and so I'm going to continue to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel as long as I live, because I know that there's a world that needs to hear it, and America today needs to hear it. We are no longer the United States of America. We're just the United States of people who are wanting to gripe about things, who are wanting to argue. We're united on that thought, man. We have the right to argue and gripe. But honestly, what made us strong in the beginning was we formed government so that it would make a more perfect union. We knew that the United States was going to go through stuff. We knew people were going to disagree on stuff. But even bigger than our government, we need to put Christ in our lives. And it starts right here, right now. It starts where we're at. In Psalm 42, we, we just to wrap up, the, just two verses there, and I'm going to close this morning. But Psalm 42, he, he, the, the psalmist here, he's writing about this, this desire in people when I was younger, there was a, a group by the name of uh, Audio Adrenaline. They had a song called God-Shaped Hole. And, and really, guys, in every human being, every person that exists, there's, there's this hunger or desire that they, they just can't, they can't get it filled with the things of this world. It has to be God that does it. It has to be God who, who, who cures that. Psalm 42, starting at verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you oh god look at verse two my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god every person in this world has has this hunger this desire this itch that can only be cured by god and, and here we see the, the writer here in Psalms, he's, he's saying, man, my soul thirsts like a, like a deer pants for water. That's how, I, that's how I pant for God. I have this type of desire for God. Maybe you've never seen a deer panting for water, but no doubt he had seen that and it impressed upon his heart. But, but have you ever just been so thirsty that when you finally got something to drink, you drink it too fast and now your, your belly's full? You ever done that? That's how we ought to be about God. When we come to church, when we open our Bibles at home, when we see opportunity for ministry, we ought to, that's what we want. We want, to, we want to see that in our lives. Because we understand that true meaning and hope comes from knowing God. So as we're reading through Ecclesiastes, church, I, I want you to finish out the book, uh, first chapter this week. You can read the whole book. But, but finish out the first chapter. We're going we're gonna to continue on next week. And I hope it helps us to realize how blessed we are and helps us to realize that our hope is in Christ, that our hope is in Him. And so however we act in this world, however we treat other people, that it's all based on the fact that we have hope. Even if they don't have hope, that doesn't mean we don't like them. Even though they they live like hell, that doesn't mean that we treat them any differently than we do our brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we're here this morning, I... I want you just to bow your heads. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that God would just remind us in big ways through His Word today how much of a people of meaning we are. 
Lord, I thank you. Lord, for times like this. Lord, I, I thank you as a pastor. I, I was able to bring this message twice today. Lord, thank you for, for people who come to hear your word every Sunday. Lord, even in times like this, Lord, I, I, I'm encouraged by a desire for people to come into your house to hear your word. Lord, I pray that we would continue with that. I, so many people that I know, they, they have a, a meaning in life. They have a hope because of what you did through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross at Calvary. And so, Lord, as a church, would you continue to work through us? Father, help us not to keep it to ourselves, Lord, that, that the message of the gospel is for all people. doesn't matter their affiliations with the things of this world. Lord, your message is for them. So God, I pray that you would send us from here a church that is on fire for the gospel. Lord, if there be someone hearing these words today and they've never, they've never placed you as their king, I pray today, God, that they would do that. Lord, I know your Holy Spirit is already working on them.